The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the monthly Florida Council of the Blind community call that we have been doing for a few years now. I think we've done a little bit of everything from educational to informational to uh, political um, information to just fun. So thank you so much for being here. Um, I am Sheila Young, president of the Florida Council. This presentation was brought to me by one of our members. So I am going to introduce him at this time and let him introduce our guest. And I want to thank Nikki for streaming in ACB Media, uh, Jane for connecting Clubhouse, and for Jeanette for, for moderating in Clubhouse. So thank you all and thank you for being here. So Paul Lewis, you are up, sir. Excuse Thanks. me, Sheila. We are not hearing it in Clubhouse. Okay, Jane, can you work on that, please? Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you, Sheila. And it's uh, my pleasure to be able to facilitate this call today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I have been around for a little while, uh, but not as long as some others uh, on this call. Um, when I entered the disabled community, I developed two passions. Uh, one was, and that I wanted to give back to, one was the blind and low vision community. And the second was in the organ transplant community. And that reason is because I am the recipient of two transplants. One is a kidney in 2008, and the second was a pancreas in 2012. Uh, we are very fortunate today to have with us from the Lions Eye Clinic, I'm sorry, Eye Institute, James Rosa. And he's going to talk to you today about a number of facets uh, that are done at the Institute. So James, welcome. And would you like to give an opening statement about yourself and your responsibilities at the Lions Eye Institute? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, again, my name is James Rosa. I'm a donation program consultant with the Lions Eye Institute for Transplant and Research. Our um, agency is responsible for uh, the eye donation process throughout Florida and other parts, which I will go over. Um, I've been working for the organization for um, uh, just a little uh, over 15 years and um, in a different capacity. Uh, I was actually a technician initially, then I moved up to uh, management, and now I do partner relations. So I work a lot with hospitals, partner agencies, I've had the pleasure of meeting Paul uh, several years ago through his efforts with LifeLink of Florida, the um, organ procurement organization here in Tampa. So again, um, it's a, a, so I'm so grateful uh, to be able to present to you um, and the great work that that you do, um, and hopefully uh, share my insight uh, working with the organization for the past uh, 15 years. So some of the topics that um, I will be going over is obviously the link between Alliance Club International and Lions Eye Institute. Um, an overview of what our agency is called, uh, it's, it's essentially called an eye bank. So an overview on that, which includes um, cornea transplants, but also the research factor in, in our process as well when, when individuals uh, provide that gift of donation. Um, some of that uh, tissue is used for research purposes to, to expand on that. Um, and then of course our foundation, which um, is the part of the organization that essentially fundraises and, and provides for, our, uh, for us to be able to fulfill our mission and also uh, the events that we sponsor uh, or that we host uh, each year as well. So again, if you have any questions, um, I believe, um, you, you'll be able to unmute and, and you can interrupt me 
at any at any moment if you have um, questions that you would like to share uh, with me. Okay. But yeah, um, James, I just want to interrupt uh, uh, just for a second. Uh, Show. I think it would be best if we oh we'll do ask hands. anybody with any question. Right. Yeah. We'll do we'll do raise hands. So that's that's how we do it, James. We just take their hands one at a time and they ask their question. Okay, okay. Keeps so it a I little have, more orderly. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's that yep, yeah, that's perfect. I just um the the view that I have, I I don't know if, if Paul, if you want to handle the the hand raising while I speak and, and you can just let me know if somebody has a question because I, I don't know if I'm able to see. I, when that I've happens. got it. I've got okay, it. Perfect. Perfect. I appreciate that. Thank mm -hmm. you. So um if you obviously noticed, our agency is called Lions Eye Institute for Transplant and Research, and the Lions part is connected to the Lions Club International, and that that is because when eye banks, um, uh, I'm sorry, in 1925, um, Helen Keller, who uh, I'm sure you know of her, um, she did attend a Lions Club International convention in Cedar Point, Ohio. And while she was there, she, through her interpreter, asked the members to become the Knights of the Blind in the Crusade Against Darkness. That, that is what she uh, asked of them, and that is their pledge to her and to the mission. So that's why Lions Clubs uh, have had a lot of involvement to do with, with anything with uh, vision impairment since that moment. and. Um, so when iBank started opening after 1940, the first one was opened in 1944 in New York. But after, you know, um, after that decade, uh, iBanks throughout the country um, they began uh, opening and Lions Clubs throughout the country, the, the different chapters in different states and cities would provide their name and support to these organizations. So um, that's why we have the name Lions, and there are still other Lions Eye Banks of, of other states um, that you'll notice. We're not um, affiliated with each other as the same agency. We're separate agencies, but we all share that connection with the Lions Club. Of course, we have grown to be more self-sufficient over the, the decades, so our involvement, especially here at Lions Eye Institute, um, in terms of with Lions Clubs, uh, is not as strong as what it used to be, just because of, of the nature of how the industry has grown. But we still work with Lions Clubs in Florida. Um, our previous foundation executive director became a grand Lion member just because of her efforts that she began doing over the last several years. Um, and I know that she um, did work with District 35, which I believe is in the Tampa Bay area. I, I believe St. Peter's. That's uh, all of uh, Florida. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, and, 35 uh, is? Okay. Yes. Yes, perfect. So, so she, uh, she, and I, I'm not sure if uh, somebody here on the, um, in this meeting may know her, JL. Um, Belon. So she she became a Grand Lion uh, life member uh, because of her work, and obviously uh, that that is still hugely important for us to maintain that that connection with the Lions clubs and and keep them involved in what we do. Now, James, I just like to ask. Uh, I know that um, at the institute you have a number of uh, meeting rooms and. Uh, tell us about what you do for the, especially the clubs in, I guess, uh, Pinellas and Hillsborough counties uh, that you're able to do uh, for them as well. And I'm sure we have a number of uh, lions and we do have quite a fair share of members of the Florida Council of the Blind who are also members of uh, lions as well. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. We I know we host um, several of uh, they, they're able to host meetings here. We we do have um, we set up our building so that they can have a Braille challenge for for children in in Hillsborough and Pat and Pinellas County every year. Um, and we also have a 
an event called the Very Important People Who Are Visually Impaired People, which is children um, that are visually impaired will have a, a Christmas time Santa uh, Santa Claus um, gift gift for them gifts. So we provide that as well. So um, so that's that's in keeping in, in tune with with those efforts with the community. Um, I know we do that. So is that Paul? Did you know of any? Did you have anything else in mind, or were you thinking of, of a different meeting? No, actually, so, that's what I wanted to um, add. That uh, you know your facilities are available. Yes. To, to uh, make use out of, and I would also encourage, if uh, even not in the immediate community, because I've done it through VifeLink, is that if you'd ever want to come back up and visit. James would be the person to contact to uh, arrange a tour of the uh, facility. To, and what I thought was really unique uh, was what the facility used to be. Do you want yes. to tell me about that, James? Absolutely. And I have that on on because I, I prepared a, a, a little uh, presentation here that I'm, I'm looking at. So so thank you, Paul. Absolutely. I'm more than than happy to be able to host um, any any interested parties to, to come visit me. I know Sheila and Paul will have my contact information um, and feel free to share that with, with any members that, that would be interested. So um, our building is an old cigar factory uh, in Ybor City, which is in Tampa. Ybor City is, um, for those who don't know, it's a historic district in Tampa that is a cigar capital of the U.S., and it was very popular at the turn of the century, obviously for the cigar factories that were in the area. And that is our building. It's an old cigar factory that was transformed into a laboratory administrative um, office uh, and research center. It's about 10,000 square feet. It used to be called F, well, well, it is called, it's still a historic building. It's the F Lozano and Son Cigar Factory. So it's a beautiful brick building um, that we have here. And if you've been to this area, if you've ever seen the um, Columbia restaurant, uh, very uh, historic restaurant, we're, we're just a few blocks south of them. But um, yeah, so, so anybody who would be interested in, in stopping by, you're more than welcome to. So our, our headquarters are here in Ybor City. And um, however, we have grown exponentially. The, the, I bank or Alliance Eye Institute opened in 1973 in Tampa. Again, uh, not in this location, this cigar factory. I believe it was a, a little small office near the University of South Florida where we first inaugurated. It was, a, I believe, a doctor and two staff members. And then, of course, it, it moved to different locations before being in our current location. Um, and, and I think we moved in 2005 is when we moved to uh, where we are today in Ybor City. But we are a global uh, agency. We're not just located in, in Florida. We have satellite offices, again, throughout Florida. We cover most of the state. There, are, there is another iBank in Orlando and another iBank in Miami, and they handle uh, those territories. But Pretty much the rest of the state is covered by, by our agency. We also have a satellite office in Shreveport, Louisiana, and we have a satellite office in Mexico City. Um, we've also done, um, we've grown because we've acquired uh, other iBanks. We're now the largest in the world. We just had an acquisition of um, iBank that's based out of Seattle. So they have offices throughout several states uh, in the U.S., mainly in the northern U.S. So now we're the largest uh, iBank. Uh, we're probably going to be changing our name um, around May. Um, so so we'll, I'll make sure to keep you updated with that. But um, this has provided, uh, this growth has provided us to be, you know, have a greater outreach and to be able to restore uh, site corneal corneal blindness uh, eradicate that in, in certain areas. So, um, any questions so far before I move on? Any hands, Shiva? 
No, sir, not yet. All right. Okay. James, uh, our next topic would delve into uh, one of your, obviously, probably the main area that you're known for, and that is the cornea transplant. And yeah, I, you know, like you to go in, not overly technical, obviously, but, um, you know, the process that's involved. And to me, as a uh, recipient, uh, what I found is uh, very interesting is one specific difference between the cornea and the rest of the uh, items that are uh, transplanted. And as a corollary to that, something that I have to take that people who receive a cornea transplant do not. And James, I'll let you go into that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll just give you an overview of the iBank um, and, and what our agency does um, uh, at high level. And um, we're a little bit different than, well, we're, we're different than organ donation in the sense that uh, eye tissue is considered tissue or is tissue and not organ. So there's, there is no waiting list like you would have with, with organ donation because an organ donor has to be a patient that meets certain parameters. Uh, it's usually somebody who has had a neurological injury, uh, some sort of uh, brain injury, and they have to be on the vent. They have to be under critical care um, in order to, to become an organ donor. So um, that limits the availability of, of those types of donors. But for tissue donation, which includes eye donation, um, we can assess every person that passes away. And if they're suitable, we have up to 24 hours from the time of death to be able to recover that gift of, of uh, donated tissue. And then uh, it'll be uh, transplanted. But, but an iBank essentially is an organization that will medically evaluate patients uh, for donation, if they're suitable, will recover the tissue and then will be tasked with approving it and distributing it or, or essentially sending it to the doctors so that they can perform the cornea transplants. We can also obviously recover the whole eye for research purposes as well. So uh, again, that's our name, transplant and research. Transplant mainly refers to the cornea and then um, research is, is essentially involving everything else, the whole eye and other, other parts of the eye that could be used for research as well, okay? James, what would you say the uh, success rate is of uh, transplanting uh, uh, corneas as uh, compared to uh, rejection? It's very successful. It's about 95 to 97% successful, the, the cornea transplant procedure. And um, the first one was done in 1905. So it's a very uh, old procedure and it's still just as effective as it was back then. Um, there, are, there have been advances, which, which I'll go over. Um, just so that uh, we can we can note that difference um, there, but um, this process is very well regulated, and I'm I'm just going to go ahead and start from the beginning how we receive the referrals, and then um, all the way to again, Paul, the um, the types of surgeries, um, high level, and then um, the the process there um, when an individual passes away at a hospital. Hospitals are required by law to make that referral to the local organ agency. So there are four organ agencies in Florida. Depending on where you live, what where your hospital is located, there is already an organ agency assigned to that hospital. So when somebody passes away, the nurse at the hospital, again, is required by law to make a phone call to the donation agency letting them know of the patient's passing so that a donation opportunity could be an option for that family of, of that loved one or the, that patient's family. 
Sometimes people will designate themselves. If you've ever been to the DMV or um, online, you can register as an organ donor. It'll say it on your driver's license. In Florida, that means that you are uh, signing up and allowing agencies, if you're suitable, to recover either organ, eye, tissue donation for transplant or research. So typically that cannot be taken away by relatives, by the next of kin. However, our agencies will still need to work with family members to make sure that we can fulfill the donation. So again, when the, a patient passes away, the hospital has to call the donation agency. Um, and then the donation agency will pass it on to the iBank, pass that information to our agency so that we can also, uh, if the donation agency, the organ agency is not going to be involved in that with that patient because they're not medically suitable for organ donation, then automatically the Lion's Eye Institute will receive that referral. And if the patient appears suitable for eye donation, we will take those steps until, um, if suitable, the, the recovery happens. So we make the referral, we receive the referral, we screen medical history, um, and then if they're suitable again and we have consent from the family or if the patient was a registered donor, we can recover the tissue and then it'll go from there. Now I'm gonna keep going here. Um, so in 2021, we had over 60,000 death referrals from, from different facilities, like obviously hospitals, but we can also receive uh, information or referrals from medical examiner's offices because some individuals, unfortunately, will not pass away at a hospital. Sometimes uh, they pass away at home. Sometimes it's an ac accidental death. So they'll go straight to the uh, medical examiner. So we have a great uh, professional relationship with medical examiners in the state so that uh, donation opportunities are not lost when an, an individual dies somewhere besides a hospital. So we can review their records and, and see if uh, those patients may be suitable for donation as well. And a lot of the times they are suitable because it's sudden deaths, uh, accidental. So it's typically younger uh, individuals that don't have uh, comorbidities. So um, we're able to, to um, work up those, those patients and those cases. But again, we did receive over 60,000 total death referrals in uh, 2021. We work with LifeLink, which is the organ agency in Tampa. We work with Our Legacy, the organ agency in Central Florida, headquartered in Orlando. We work with LifeQuest, the organ agency in uh, North Florida. They cover all of the panhandle. They're headquartered in Gainesville. And we also work with the OPO in, if you recall from earlier, we have an office in Louisiana in Shreveport. So we work with the organ agency in Louisiana. So that if they receive referrals that are suitable for eye donation, we can also uh, receive those referrals as well. James, I would also mention to uh, those of us who are here who don't know what OPO means. That's yes, organ yes. Procurement Organization. Organ and, procurement organizations, yep. And James, I would uh can ask you if we have any raised hands. No, sir. Okay. Uh how about let's we... check in Clubhouse? Jeanette, is anybody in Clubhouse got a hand raised? And I don't, Jane, you are muted, dear, so she may not be able to answer me. Okay. Oh, uh, excuse me. I have a question. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Did you raise your hand? I'm sorry. If, if you did, I missed it. So I'm, I'm not, I'm on the phone, not on Zoom. That's, oh, okay. Then go right ahead. What is your name? Okay. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask, do they do DNA testing to find out um, different causes of eye conditions? So we we work with, um, and, and I'll talk a little bit more uh, later on, we work with, with researchers. So specifically, if, if 
they they do DNA sequence, I believe so. But when we recover tissue for for researchers to study, we typically send them to the researchers. So um, I know that there have been studies on on DNA sequencing, um, but specifics I, I'm not able to to know that. Um, but but when we recover tissue again for research, what we typically do is we send it to the scientists uh, that will study, conduct studies on it. Okay, thank you. We have no raised hands in Clubhouse, Sheila. Okay, thank you, Jeanette. Okay, that's okay. all we've got so far. Okay, all right, well, well thank you. Yeah, uh, so I will uh, move on to the referral process very quickly. And again, a high level overview. Um, obviously it's a very, um, well-regulated process. We want to make sure that if an individual is going to receive a cornea to restore their sight, that that donor uh, is a, a safe tissue, as safe as possible. So we have stipulations in place. We speak with uh, the family. We have to gather a medical social history questionnaire from the family for every donor. And uh, this will include questions that are very similar to when you donate blood, um, very similar to those questions, questions about uh, travel history. There are certain countries that um, people who visit may be susceptible to certain diseases. So we need to know if they've traveled to certain places around the globe. And again, this is all driven by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, they have, um, and the health department, they have guidances. So um, if somebody's been to a, a certain location. For example, if you remember in the 80s and early 90s, there was a, a mad cow disease in Europe. So some, a lot of individuals, if you lived in Europe or you visited for more than six months in, in that decade, um, you may not be eligible to donate tissue for transplant. Um, so that's just one example. Obviously, um, the Zika virus from a few years ago, the Ebola from a few years ago, COVID, all of those things as uh, new diseases start uh, becoming more prevalent, we adapt our medical social history questionnaire or the FDA does to, to uh, ensure that there's a safety there for the recipients. We also have to review the medical record of the patient if they passed away at a hospital. And this is to ensure again, that there's no uh, concerns there for the person who will be receiving the donated gift. So once we determine that it appears, uh, the patients appear suitable, we will then uh, dispatch one of our technicians who will then go to the facility to do the recovery uh, of the tissue. We have special instruments that are sterile. We can, uh, it just takes one person, they will go to the facility, they will do a physical assessment of the patient. Again, all uh, in, in accordance to the FDA stipulations and guidance uh, that we have in place. And again, it's all for the safety of the recipients, um, but the whole process probably takes about one hour, but we can do the, the recovery in the patient's room, in the hospital morgue, in the medical examiner's office. Um, and the cornea is uh, cl a clear tissue in front of the, Iris, uh, most of you are probably familiar with, with eye anatomy. So it's that clear tissue in front of your iris. It's dome shape, and it's supposed to be very clear, transparent cells so that light can reach uh, your retina. So when, when an individual has a cornea disease, they're not able to see because that front part of the eye is uh, either diseased or damaged. So that way it can be removed and replaced with a healthy donor cornea so that again, the person can have their sight restored that way. But we draw, uh, that's what we recover that top portion of, of the eye for transplant procedures. Um, we also draw a blood sample from the patient. We have to make sure that the patients don't have a positive serology, which the FDA stipulates that that would be uh, something that would uh, not be suitable for donation. Uh, if, if they have a positive serology. Okay, so um, once the cornea is recovered, 
it's placed in a vial with a special solution that will preserve it for up to two weeks. So it, it can be approved. We have uh, about two weeks, probably about 10 days to approve it and then send it to a doctor for transplant. So in order to approve that tissue, I, I went over the medical record, the medical social history. We need that portion approved, but we also need the, that blood test to come back negative. And also the tissue itself is looked at under a microscope. We actually look at those cells um, from a microscopic point of view to ensure that that cornea will be uh, suitable and will restore sight to individuals. We look at the cells. So we have different instruments that are used for that. One of them is the slit lamp, um, that beam of light to look at the corneal layers. We have an OCT. That is a device that gives you like an X-ray view of the cornea. And then we have another uh, microscope that looks at the actual cells uh, of the cornea. So once those two things are in place and are suitable, we can then uh, say that uh, the two things being the medical record and the, the medical social history questionnaire and then the actual laboratory evaluation of the tissue, those two things come together and are, are good, then we can approve that cornea for transplant. Now, going back um, to the first surgery that was done, if you, I mentioned earlier, 1905, um, if that's if you take the entire cornea and you transplant it, um, the cornea has five layers. If you look at it from, obviously it's paper thin, but if you look at it from the side, it has five layers. Um, and typically the traditional cornea transplant surgery involves the entire five layers and you just remove the diseased cornea and you place the healthy tissue over the recipient and you suture around so that the person can have their sight restored. Well, about 30 years ago, doctors in uh, Europe discovered that you can actually remove some of the layers of the cornea. Instead of transplanting the whole cornea, you can transplant certain parts of the, those layers. And this has led to uh, an improvement. Yes. Oh. Okay. Uh, this has led to uh, what we call lamellar keratoplasty or a different type of surgery that uh, is called when you just transplant the, the layers of the cornea. And this leads to faster healing times, better acuity for the recipient uh, than the traditional surgery, even though the traditional surgery is, is very much still done, especially overseas. But in the US, over 50% of all cornea transplant surgeries are being done with these new techniques where you're taking uh, and you're just transplanting layers of the cornea and not the entire, the entire cornea. So, James? Yes. Okay. I thought that at this time, maybe we should move on to our next topic, okay. uh, which um, many of us have diseases that deal with the retina and yes. talk about what uh, the research and, and uh, especially on the research that the Institute may be doing uh, with uh other uh, eye diseases besides uh, the cornea itself. Absolutely. So, so we recover again. Um, we recover the whole globe or the whole eye from from donors, and um, we have been doing that since the beginning. We have um, a team of four. It's a doctor. David Amar is our PhD, um, and he's uh, scientific director of our program. And then he has a staff of three. And what they are responsible for is when uh, a, patient, a referral comes in, we actually can screen it for certain research projects that Dr. Amar has been working with, again, with, with different agencies uh, throughout the country for different types of diseases like AMD, uh, diabetic retinopathy, 
macular uh, degeneration, um, AMD, uh, and um, so these these agencies will will request the tissue from us for those specific types of programs that they're working on. Um, we opened our research center. If you look at our building, it's a historic building. Uh, we actually added the research part of it in 2009, and that section of the building specializes in, in uh, equipment and rooms designated for individuals to come here, those researchers to study and dissect uh, the tissues, and again, to look at uh, the retina and, and different types of, of ways that uh, the tissues interact with certain treatments that they're looking at. Um, and what makes it unique is that it is so uh, available for, for our rooms have flow hoods, they have uh, equipment, uh, microscopes, instruments that they can use, and we can actually recover the tissue and bring it back and um, they can study it very close to the time of death, which um, is kind of a, a pioneering idea because for the most part, when researchers request eye tissue to study, they're receiving it uh, several days after the time of death from, from other agencies. But whereas to us, they can come in here and um, we can actually go recover the gift and then bring it back to them for them to take a look at um, for their studies. Well, James, there was one specific feature that I that we didn't mention when we were talking about the cornea transplant yes. that uh, I'm very envious of. Uh, those of us who've had other transplants, we have to take medication for the rest of our lives. Yes. And what I... Uh, I'm envious about the cornea transplants. Uh, they don't, is that correct? They have to take drops. They have to add drops uh, to their eyes daily. And, uh, but that's it. Um, just to prevent uh, any issues. And the, the thing about the cornea, the cornea itself doesn't have vascularity. It doesn't have blood vessels. So there's no, um, it's not as complex, obviously, as, as organ donation. There's no um, blood typing cross match. That does not need to happen with, with cornea transplantation. So somebody, um, the, the majority of individuals that need cornea transplants in the U.S. will be older adults. Um, so they can receive a tissue corneal tissue from, from younger adults. So there's, you're not tied to, to again, blood, blood uh, type, uh, cross-matching, or even um, age is not going to restrict. So there's more freedom there. And again, the eye drops are, uh, it varies by patient, but, but from what I recall, I think that uh, recipients will still need to eye drops um, every day, so. James, he had also mentioned that you partner with a number of other agencies around the state. I know uh, Foundation Fighting Blindness is coming into Tampa uh, very uh, shortly, and uh, they are committed to, uh, you know, a lot of their own research as well. Do you work with them at all? We have worked with them in the past, and we're... we're um... Typically, those efforts are 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 um, foundation efforts. Um, I know that the also the research center will also engage in in, in partnerships with uh, different agencies throughout Florida, academic institutions, doctors. Um, we also, if you're familiar with the, and this is important, I I, I um, should have mentioned this earlier. Uh, the Glazer family, who owns the Bucks here in Tampa Bay, the NFL team, they also have um, a mobile vision clinic. So this is a program where individuals who are licensed opticians and a doctor of optometry, they will visit schools and community centers throughout Tampa Bay, and they will provide vision screenings for children 
school-aged children free of cost. And if the children need glasses, the mobile vision clinic is equipped to pro uh, provide the optician. They're able to make the glasses and provide them to these children um, in, in real time. So um, that's something that the Lions Eye Institute, it's owned by the Glazer family, but the Lions Eye Institute runs it. So it's a separate operation uh, from that, that, that we're uh, helping with that as well. So there's a lot of need there for, for children who are visually impaired to make sure that we can detect uh, issues and then be able to supply uh, glasses as needed. And if they have anything more serious, then they could be referred to a, an ophthalmologist. So, Sheila, do we have any questions? We don't have any hands raised, but I have to tell you, some of this information to me is extremely interesting. And I'm just, I'm thrilled about the children's eye um, exams. That is just wonderful. Yeah, we 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 we're very grateful that 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 happened. That, that partnership began in 2021. So, Rome, um, you have a hand raised. This this young lady lives in Arizona. Nora, go right ahead. Hi. Good morning. Good nice morning. And uh, my my question is, speaking uh, of children's eyes, I have. Because of my birth condition called GOAT syndrome, and formerly known as hypo, uh, normal hypoplasia, it's a, I have extremely small eyes, but even as an adult, and I want a, uh, and I have, I have cataract surgery in my right eye, but they give it, there's no lens that would fit my eyes because they're extra small. When I heard from my aunt, one of my aunt's doctors mentioned about a doctor in Florida, um, I think it's Florida that may, uh, may have, they said that they make the lensing for the right size for extra, extra small eyes. Okay, so, so, um, if I, I heard correctly, you have an eye condition where your cornea is very small? Yeah, my whole eye, not just cornea, oh, but oh, my whole, my yes. whole eye. Is extra and, small. and there's a, a doctor in Florida who, who is making uh, strides in, in helping with, with that condition, is that? Not yet, no, but I've heard from somebody that they do make uh, extremely small eye lenses. Since I have no lens in my right eye due to a cataract surgery, and and the doctors that, I, that worked on me in California said that they don't have any lenses that would fit my eye because of a, my size is extra extra small. So, and I heard somewhere that they do make extremely small lenses for children and extra small eyes for people who extra small eyes. <laughs> No, I've heard yeah. about that. That's my comment. <laughs> yeah, and and um, cataract surgery, um, obviously, uh, that involves an artificial lens being placed or replaced uh, yeah. with with your natural lens. So typically, our agency doesn't work with with um, those are typically done by pharmaceutical companies, ophthalmo ophthalmology companies. Um, so we don't have direct involvement with with the the manufacturing of the lens and, and and what's available but we do work with i know that we work with um ophthalmology companies in providing tissues that they then will use to to conduct studies um and and some of them may may be for uh, the condition that you mentioned so um yeah. yeah no i appreciate your your um your input and and yeah, hopefully with with the passing of time, we'll you know, eye banks and and the ophthalmic community can come up with with better uh, products and and outcomes for to be able to help individuals with with vision impairment. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Nora. Awesome. Thank you. 
Okay. No hands James and Paul, we have, thank time. you, Jeanette. Um, we have 15 minutes left in the call. So if you want have some other major topics you want to cover. Okay. Uh, James, I was um, awesome, very, that uh, the Institute is very active in outreach and community events and also uh, fundraising events. Uh, maybe you'd like to uh, offer and explain uh, some of those things coming up and especially the roar that's uh, coming up very uh, shortly, which I've had the pleasure of attending, which is a lot of fun. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, our the Lions Eye Institute has a foundation who specializes in fundraising and, and other um, events. And two of those events, the first one uh, is the one Paul mentioned, Roar Through Ebor. This is a 5K race and one mile fun run. And it happens at the spring every year. Uh, this year, it will take place in March on March 31st, which I believe is a Friday. And it's an evening run at 7 p.m. And we partner with LifeLink of Florida. And again, LifeLink is the Oregon procurement organization in Tampa Bay. So it's a, a 5K a run uh, out of Ybor City here in Ybor City in Centennial Park. Um, so that that is uh, funds from, from this event will go towards each agency uh, in order to continue the, the fulfillment of the mission to, to help individuals uh, in, in donation and, and uh, transplantation. And then we have uh, another event called the Eyeball, and the name ball obviously referring to a gala. It's a black tie event. It's usually held every September. And this is just Lions Eye Institute. This is not in partnership with LifeLink. Um, and in this event, we typically will have um, an auction so um, an auctioneer in-house um, that the uh, you know auctioning items that we the foundation has has received, um, and those funds will again go back to the institute for any fees related to the supplies that we need to use, uh, the equipment, um, so for us to be able to sustain that. So that one is always uh, fun. This year it'll take place on September 9th uh, here in Tampa in, at Armature Works, which is a, a building that has uh, several different restaurants. It's like a food court style uh, location, event center, and it's a uh, disco themed. Every year we have a theme. This year it'll be disco. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and obviously it's a great way to to show support for the work being done at Lions Eye Institute. And then it's giving back to, to um, the community and for us to be able to, um, to do what we do. We also, um, we also have a program where we provide corneas free of cost for individuals who are not able to afford the surgery. Um, a couple of years ago, we supplied uh, 100 corneas to patients in Central America, Honduras. We had one of our doctors travel there with a team from here uh, to be able to do that. So that's, um, and that, that again, it comes back to us being able to do that through the efforts from the foundation and, and community efforts. You have but, a hand, James? Yes. Janine? I think this all this effort is great and um, hearing about the eye effort, do you do anything with optic nerves? So so have, have I, you been doing research on them? So the research that's being done, I would have to check with my um, and I, these are wonderful questions and um, and again, my contact information um, can be made available. Sheila or Paul, um, feel free to to hand that out. I can find out more for you um, on what specifically we are doing to um, for the efforts on the uh, optic nerve. Um, so I'm sure that we do some research. I, I just know that the main research that we uh, that we send to scientists or that scientists request is for AMD, for um, glaucoma, and for um, diabetic retinopathy. What does AMD stand for? age-related macular 
degeneration. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, but but um, but I can find out for sure if 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 what what we're doing with in terms of the optic nerve and and, and the research there. Cool. Thank hey, you so much, James. I also think because I remember on one of my visits that you also do research into uh, star guards as well, which obviously uh, affects uh, younger people and the effects similar to uh, macular. Yes, yes. And also RP, um, retinitis pigmentosa. There's there's different research being done on, on those two diseases and and um, uh, multiple others as well. So so again, when when we get consent from uh, the patient or the family um, and uh, eyes are recovered for research intent. Some of those eye tissues may go to researchers who are studying all of those diseases and star guards. We actually had, um, there are two brothers that have a condition. They're young and they have a, uh, they started a shirt company that uh, it's, it's called two blind brothers they uh, added braille to the shirts to like the sleeve so that individuals with vision impairment can see uh, and, can, and can read the size of the shirt, the color, I believe. Uh, and that obviously is, is a huge, huge deal because it, not, not everybody is doing that. So, but they, they both have the condition, star guards. Um, and they actually came to uh, visit us a couple of years ago. And they, I think they were on the Ellen DeGeneres show back in 2019 or something. James, if you could forward me that their contact information, uh, I think we would love to pass that out to all of our uh, members. That sounds uh, really amazing. Yes, and yes, I will. Yep. I would also add, you know, uh, with the roar of Ebor, I think it would be uh, terrific if us. Uh, if some of our members who have guide dogs would like to participate in uh, either the 5K or the uh, the fun run walk, I think that would be uh, truly wonderful and uh, a great uh, marketing for uh, both of us. Absolutely, and I can send you that information, Paul, um, and and also for the eyeball as well. Um, if that way you have that. Um, and you can pass that along as well. Yeah, that would be uh, terrific. Yeah, and there's a code too for um, a discount rate that I can send you for the for the run. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be uh, that would be great. And that run is held in uh, Centennial Park in uh, Ebor uh, Ebor City. That's uh, so. So again, very close to it's on. It's called Seventh Avenue, uh, or Seventh. Yeah, Seventh Avenue is the main street for Ybor City. Um, so it's right there. That's really great, Sheila. Do we have any uh, other questions? No, and we've got about five minutes. So if there's anything you really want to touch on, now's the time to do it. James, I'll leave it to you for any closing remarks. Okay, so so no questions. Um, no. no. Okay, well, I, I again, I just wanted to thank you all for having me. Um, this has been an extreme pleasure. Um, again, um, our agency is uh, focused on ensuring that individuals, uh, obviously, that are donors, that they are able to help others, and by helping others, that uh, typically would include many, many people in this call. We're, we're here to um, ensure that we can support donation and those efforts to get the tissue to the researchers who are doing the great work that will hopefully one day uh, make your lives easier through through the innovation process of uh, that that they're studying. So, let me check with Clubhouse. Jeanette, is there anybody in Clubhouse that would like to ask a question? No one at this time, Sheila. Okay, thank you. Okay, we do have a hand raised. Area code seven zero three. Ending in 596, you may unmute. 
Okay, can you hear? Uh huh. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Well, we just wanted the contact information up at Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, what what's being done around Washington D.C. here with, with the Congress and all that. I don't you know. hear me. Hello. Yeah, I heard yeah. you. Yes, James. Did you hear him? I, he had a question about um, what what is being done in terms of Washington D.C. and, and Congress and yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, each each state is is a little bit different. Um, so each state has um, items that they're working on separately. I'm not familiar with anything that. Um, I mean the, the donation is pretty set in stone in terms of uh it's it, there's not a lot of gray area it's either somebody when they register they can become a, a donor if they're not registered then we would have to go through the family to get donation uh to happen um so there's not a, a real uh difference there in, in from state to state so uh, so I'm not I'm not sure if I know of, of anything. Well, I, I'm assuming there is no nothing in the political arena. Right, right. Um, to this. That that uh, that would impact uh, the process significant. I don't think that there's anything that significant right now that that's being looked at that would impact. The I do have a uh, that I do have another uh, a side note. Um, because my, again, my agency specializes in tissue donation, so eyes are considered tissue. There is a legislative uh, process change going on right now with organ donation, but it's it's it has to do with the performance of organ agencies and the metrics, and um, there may be changes in how organs are allocated when recovered and, and how agencies are, they're being evaluated as, as of right now. This, this should be ending in 2026, but that, that there will be some changes there with organ donation, but with tissue donation, um, right now there's no, um, there's nothing significant in, in changing yeah. and anything like that. Okay. So, so if, if uh... In uh, up here in Alexandria, Virginia, then if we wanted a uh, uh, tissue or cornea uh, donation, uh, what what to do here? So what would happen is if if you live in a in Virginia or, or any state, your state would typically have the option of you registering as as an organ donor. An organ donation would include tissue, even though your license would only say organ donor. It does include tissue in most states. What it doesn't include in all states is the research part. Some states, it's yeah. specifically transplant. Other states, it will include uh, transplant and research. So if, if you're a registered donor, or if you're not, uh, at the time of your passing, you, if you pass away at a hospital, all hospitals are required by law to report the death to their local organ agency so that they can be notified and the donation opportunity could happen. Yeah. What about a receiver up here that would like that? Uh, how does oh, that so go if about someone them? would like the tissue donation is what he's saying. So in other oh, words, oh, a recipient? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so so yeah. Uh, for for tissue donation, you again, there's no waiting list for tissue. You would have to be diagnosed with a condition that would require you to need a tissue, whether it be a cornea or or bone donation, skin donation, um, arteries can be uh, donated, veins can be received for different types of procedures, and your doctor would just have to schedule your surgery and then the the hospital would reach out to the eye bank or the tissue banks and then you would receive those tissues yeah James, so, they, so how, 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 how can you be contacted then how can your organization be contacted it's lions um, eye bank isn't it yeah yeah so so yeah you can contact us through our website lionsinstitute.org O-R-G, so it's L-I-O-N-S-E-Y-E institute.org, and we have um, information there for, for doctors or for, for 
members of the public who have questions about the process. Mm -hmm. Hey, well, and, thank you yeah. for your question, sir. We uh, we literally have just reached the top of the hour, so thank you <laughs> okay. so much for being here. James, okay. thank you so much. Paul, thank you for bringing this idea to us and for oh, my pleasure. having James be part of this. Thank you, everyone, for being here. We appreciate you taking part in our community call for the Florida Council of the Blind. And thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jeanette. And everybody have a wonderful weekend.